0: Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.
0: where our goal is to make politics more accessible and less intimidating.
2: The show features an interview with an expert in the political field, walking us through the many cues we have about politics, civics, government, and more.
0: By providing civic education in the places we are, on our phones, and in the language we speak. And <laughs>
2: Yes, we know we say like a lot. It's kind of the point, because <laughs> politics needed a rebrand. Welcome back to Girl in the Gump Podcast. It's another Wednesday, another episode. And we actually have a fun little game to play in our intro today that Sam has been just itching, itching to do. No, like literally. Okay. So
0: here's the backstory. And I can't remember if I told this on the pod previously or if I just made a TikTok about it, but I literally was in this huge bookstore. Okay. And just perusing. It's always a good spot to take some content. You know, a lot of things will say politics, something, whatever. Good background imagery on our story, right? Always good to have. And I see this card game, okay? Zing a politician. It's like a deck of five cards. And like, you know what? Worst case scenario, it just is like fun to take a picture of. I'm bringing it home. Turns out it's this fun game where it literally it's like the simplest game. And for any of my friends listening who know how bad I am following board game instructions, like if I can follow this.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, usually when someone starts telling me card game rules, I just like black out. It's like when someone tells me their name, like I just Mm -hmm. ask and I want to know. And then when they speak, it just doesn't, it doesn't register. I don't know what's wrong with me, but
0: literally out one ear or no in one ear out the other. I literally have my friends love the game code names. I hate it. I don't understand it. Like I think I'm a very smart person. Someone's going to troll me on that, but like genuinely my brain does not comprehend this game. And every share house thing we've ever done, you can find me in the other room scrolling on Insta, getting work done, taking long hot showers or whatever. I'm like, have fun. I'll see you guys in a few hours. Like, I don't even want to participate. This game. Yeah. It's okay, easy. This because game. all you do.
2: Oh. Different than the Serena Kerrigan, That's fucking date game that we played a few weeks ago. That was really vibe. fun.
0: Okay, different, different vibe. vibe. So basically, like, there's a card and it has a phrase on it or a description. And then you're just supposed to say, like, who comes to mind.
2: And I'm honestly so bad at shit like this. Like, you know, how, you know how I am. Yeah. Okay. But let's try it.
0: This, I have one immediately for this, which usually I ask you and then I like to have an answer. Because you <laughs> yeah. promise me I'm of
2: itself. No, okay. that, that's refreshing because Lord knows I probably won't be able to come up with one.
0: Good. I don't know. Drum roll, please. Okay. Weekend, but still has a bite. And the card is a lion. So Leo. So she energy. It?
2: It's a like weekend, a line. But still but has, still a bite. has a I bite. don't understand. Weekend, but still I genuinely don't get that. Like someone that was like
0: is like was really strong, but like politically someone's kind of knocked them off their horse, but they still have like a bite. They still have some power.
2: Wait, weekend it wasn't it spelled weekend. like week? Weekend. Oh weekend. Santa's <laughs> so we accent. Something happened there. Wait, hold on. No. I was like weekend, like the weekend. Like, what is that? I don't know this phrase. Wait, hold on that for one second. Well,
0: like uh, this gives you a moment to like think about what your answer might be. I did not know that. I did not like I'm not able to pronounce now. I have to really think about it the word diaper. Correctly, I apparently, like when I say it, like just without thinking about it, I kind of like say "driver." And I was doing a TikTok the other day for like our newsletter that had an action item related to a diaper bank, and it literally it sounds like a driver bank. <laughs> like,
2: yeah, I don't know something about your pronunciations. Yeah, weekend instead of weekend.
0: I wonder if that's a Jersey weekend. Thing. weekend. You said it it's like, like it's like, the draw,
2: weekend. Draw, draw. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Okay, well what's your answer for that one? Mitch McConnell. Weakened, but still has, still has bite. bite. <sighs> yeah, that's a good one. I don't know why like Hillary Clinton came to mind. Oh. Um, that. but honestly, I feel like that. I struggle to still feel to like find her bite these days. She's not really she's mm-hmm. kind of like taken the back seat after she got weakened. Right, like what I totally disagree. Well, I do. I I mean, she's doing a lot like in the private sector, I guess, but like, I don't know.
0: I feel like she does a lot of interviews and a lot of press, and those interviews have a lot of impact. Like, I feel, or maybe it's just the algorithms I'm on and the shows that I'm watching, but I feel like I see a lot. Yeah, no, it's true. She is like still
2: in the media, Um, but from like an elected
0: official point of view, of like still like. Decide like she could have. I don't think it would have been the move, but after losing, she could have run for senate again or try to get a yeah. like she could have gone in a different
2: direction. I think that's a good yeah. answer. She got weakened, but she still has some bite of like putting her opinions out there. You know, making them know. Totally okay. Drum roll.
0: Next one. Clint, an opportunist, and it's
2: I think it's a vulture. Know what that? Wait, um, like, no, you know what this? Dean Phillips came to mind. Immediately. You know, that interesting. I, mm-hmm. whoo, I have to think about this one for a second. Oh, uh, I have one uh, too. I have another one. Okay. This this is a different vibe than my last answer, but Clarence Thomas. He is an opportunist. 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 You
0: are onto something. Without Mike Johnson, opportunist. I mean,
2: everyone is in the political
0: It is a little bit, like, political nature, generally. And I think you have to be that way to a degree, like, to function. Like, I don't think – like, I hate the term your way, But you have to, like – You have to network. Take opportunities, totally. Look, I say this all the time to, like, people that, like, ask about, like, oh, like, where do you – you know, like, what industry you used to work in, blah, 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 whatever, and how, like, networking was just, like, not really a thing or it just was, like, not – it but like in politics
2: like to honestly justice for opportunists like being an opportunist is like actually a good thing it's like yeah seize the day seize opportunities you're given go out there make something of yourself like wow this is a sideline speech (laughs) (laughs) i'm just all over the place i can't obviously have negative vibes to it which is why i named the people i did but
0: yeah i don't know Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Let's do one more. Secretly harboring a toe fetish. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. This is the one I was waiting for. Yeah. Oh God. This is go so Careful, do ways. not get
0: us sued for defamation.
2: I swear to God. Listen. No, no, it's just a theory. Oh gosh. Who do I want to come after first? You know, like that's just where my brain is going. Mm-hmm.
1: A toe fetish. Dog toe
2: fetish ain't nothing wrong with the toe fetish but who I see it for is drum roll. I feel like it's gotta be someone
0: like someone like a Lindsey Graham would make sense to me but I don't want to like limit to him like it's someone with that type of persona
2: but I just really don't also don't want to come, come after toe fetishes so I also kind of want to like just who would be funniest
0: Mike Pence with a foot fetish
2: 100 percent that type of vibe Mm -hmm. yeah i'll think of one for the democratic party that's a good one yeah republican democratic party gavin gavin Newsom. interesting i really don't see that one and that's probably one that a lot of people wouldn't be mad at (laughs) (laughs) now you have a point versus Fair. lindsey graham <laughs> if, if, someone, if lindsey graham comes to you with a foot fetish and gavin newsom comes to you with a foot fetish you're gonna have a different perception of foot fetishes depending on which one of those people come to you with their foot
0: totally. fetish. you know what i mean totally like when so you're like just, absolutely not what's wrong with you and the other you're like oh, i could get behind that yeah
2: perspective mm. uh-huh.
0: yeah. yeah wow foot fetishes i you know what i think though it's like i think that things like that are like rampant in dc yeah i really do so probably just from like what i've seen on hinge i'll just put it that way like scary so yeah Mm. anyways
2: anywho uh, we do have a podcast to get into today a pertinent pertinent topic Mm. at the moment immigration wow literally the word. On everyone's lips right now in the political sphere, immigration. We get to we get into it. We get into the messaging around it, and just the current state of the issue and topic of immigration in this country.
0: Yeah, which literally keeps heating up. Which, if you guys have not been paying attention, we did a little bit on it in one of our recent GovHub newsletters of what that immigration bill that everyone's been chit-chatting about had in it, and it's a laundry list. I almost didn't put it in there because it had so many bullet points to it. So Jesus, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Anyways, regardless, where that currently stands is RIP DOA because the Republicans are like, oh, I should listen to Trump. And just, they said no, or he said no. So now we're not going to do anything. And now they won't pass other things because they're saying, well, we wanted an immigration bill. It's all games. It's just political
2: games. games. Yeah.
0: So whether you support what's in it or not, it's just, like, an interesting vision of the chaos of it, of, like, more than anything, the Republicans showing that they don't want to do anything about what they scream about all the time. Mm -hmm. Again, like, it's one of those things you don't have to agree with what's in that bill to see, like, the drama for the drama. You know, the forest through the hills or whatever that phrase is. Forest through the trees, forest through the... There's a forest involved, that's all I can tell y'all. Anyways, moving moving back to this episode, part of the game's the chaos is the messaging around all these things like Manny was saying. And naturally we have to get into like what the GOP's been messaging about immigration and border security for a while, and then also like the dance, and like what is going to be at the tip of the tongue throughout tip of the, tongue? the tip of the tongue? Tip of the tongue the
2: teeth. teeth. There's like some type of song that goes like
0: that. I, don't know, I can't even say weekend correctly. <laughs> no, there's
2: there's been a lot of pronunciation flags throughout this episode on your end. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. Oh my god,
0: I can't even stop. Okay, so anyways, we ended into this conversation with Beatrice Lopez, who is the deputy director of Immigration Hub. She is a delight and walks us through all of the messaging, like we said, for this year. What's just been going on? Giving us sort of that background scoop. So.
1: Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel any time. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.
0: All right, we're getting into it. Beatrice, welcome to the show. We're talking about immigration today, which, oh my God, how many different rabbit holes can we go down? My goodness. But to get things started, you work for a organization called Immigration Hub. Can you give us the tea, the rundown on what you guys do, especially for people that might not be familiar with your work?
3: Yeah, so we're a national organization that that is focused on advocacy uh, on Capitol Hill, uh, strategically organizing other groups to respond to moments of crisis um, and also do a rapid response. Uh, So we do a lot of communications, a lot of research. You know, we are sort of at the center of what's really happening in government when it comes to immigration, especially moments like we're living right now, where they're currently neg- negotiating on a deal on immigration. We were set up to be a rapid response organization uh, in response to the greatest threat the immigration system has ever had, and that's former President Donald Trump. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, to take a step back before we dive into all of that, can you kind of give us the rundown of how you really got into this line of work?
3: Yeah. Well, personally, I, you know, <clears throat> I started off actually in labor, and one of the things said, I, you know, I started seeing and 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 what we started working on really in the labor movement was seeing that there is a lot of immigrants who are were part of becoming part of the workforce. In large numbers, and the more and the more that we saw immigrants part of this labor force, it's that a lot of them, you know, either undocumented or their status hadn't changed in a long time. And in order to make a much more powerful labor force, we need people to become American citizens and fully be part of embracing their their, their workers' rights and you know increase and then and our own working families, to be honest. And so when I started working in the immigration reform movement. You know, it's not, it's been over probably two decades since we've seen an update in the laws. And so when I started seeing a lot of, you know, the, the impact it has at the community level. You know, and as a child of immigrants who came during a time where, you know, President Reagan at that time offered asylum to a lot of people who were fleeing persecution and communism, my family being one of the benefits you know, benefactors of that, um, the, the kind of thinking back then when it came to immigration, you know, it's really become an important issue dear to my heart, but also dear to my community and my family. So that is how I first started in immigration.
0: Totally. And your point about also the fact that laws haven't changed in two decades. I'm curious your perspective mm-hmm. on like, why that is like, why is this such an issue that gets roadblocked at every turn? I feel like We're constantly hearing politicians, you know, yelling, screaming, having fits about like, it's not working, there's a crisis and not negating that. But then it doesn't seem like any solution ever passes. Like, I feel like I can think of like being a kid not too long ago, but kind of a while ago, and that still being the status quo. So I'm curious, like, why does there seem to be like no movement
3: on this issue? It's so important. Sure. Yes. You know, at first, at first, we got very close and this is back when. Back uh, in 2013, that's the closest that we've gotten since for a very long time. The 2013, Comprehensive Immigration Reform Bill passed the Senate. And then as soon as it went into the House, it kind of fell apart there with the support. The House has always been the trickiest probably place ever. (laughs) And, you know, the reason if you look back and why it fell apart, there's something changing in America and changing in the Republican Party at that point. So the, the the biggest impediment to that law was the when remember this guy called Eric Cantor, who was the Speaker of the House, he lost his electoral race to this like unknown, slightly extremist Tea Party guy, and so that was kind of like the end of the 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 movement or the or the possibility of something happening. On immigration alone, but that moment in time really represents something that happened. This pivot that happened in America, where we saw a party become much more extreme, mm. and so by the time that we got to 2016, you know, and if you and I'm sure you guys have talked about the Tea Party movement in the past and how that sort of evolved into what the Republican Party is today, and so we fast forward to 2016 and. You know, Trump captures the imagination of suburbanites, rural communities who are tired, stressed, scared. The future is, a, although the economy is doing great at that time, after President Obama and Democrats saved it, right? He just captures their imagination and really starts weaponizing immigration and creating immigrants as the boogeymen who are coming into their communities who are threatening them. And that really takes a hold of the Republican Party, and mm-hmm. they begin to become very dog in their heels. And so, any any time that we've been close to any sort of good policy or even bipartisan policies, these folks at the extreme right do everything possible to kill that bill, those proposals. So that is where we are today, and and they keep moving that goalpost even further to the right and it's getting a little scary so yeah that's sort of state of immigration today
0: that's actually like another question i was gonna ask too it's like with that goalpost moving and sort of understanding where we're at maybe like party to party comparison like generally speaking like where are the republicans on immigration right now like what is like that they're saying or they're standing on like, this is the type of policy we want versus like what are the types of policies that the Democrats want. And I know there's some variability in there, but like if a generalization would be possible,
3: Yeah, yes. So you you have the Republican Party who, if you were really right now walking the halls of Congress, you'd hear a lot about this bill called HR2. HR2 is this bill It's very representative of what they stand for. It's about basically banning asylum. It's about making it near impossible for anybody to apply for any form of legal pathway. If they're looking, if they're seeing persecution, violence, or looking for economic opportunity, they want to make it really hard. They want to make it so hard they would rather shut down the border, uh, build that wall. That is what they, they stand down. They want to make it near impossible for anybody who looks like myself, black or brown, um, or does not look like a European immigrant, make it really hard for them to come into this uh, country. And on top of that, then we talk about the people who are here, who've been here for years, for nearly 30 years, unable to adjust their legal status. For instance, dreamers. young young children who were brought to this um, country uh, by their parents at a very young age and then find out later that they never had an, an immigration status. Some of them have the ability to get DACA while Republicans terminated. Well, during the Trump administration, they did everything possible to make that, to terminate that, that executive action that was taken by President Obama. That program is basically on its last legs and then in, in, possibly in 2025, it'll be terminated by the Supreme Court. That is what the Republican Party does. They want to, mm-hmm. again, make it really hard to become a U.S. citizen or to even become, have any form of sort of legal status in this country, whether they're here or they're outside of the U.S. That's the kind of part they've become. Not to say that there aren't some pragmatic Republicans there, but- You know, their voices are not as powerful, sadly, as some others. Or they've left Congress. Like, for instance, former Senator Flake, you know, was actually somebody who wanted to come to a bipartisan uh, compromise. Then you have the Democratic Party who, you know, it is, they want to be able to create legal pathways. They want to be able to actually address the causes of migration. There's so much instability in the region, and they know that it's going to be a cycle where there's going to be more people coming to the border, climate refugees, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So there's they have looking into, like, how do we actually address this? They want to be able to deliver a path to citizenship to dreamers and well-settled, undocumented immigrants who've been here for years and are looking to adjust their status. That is probably me, the center of what holds all Democrats together, is that path to citizenship for dreamers and others. And then you get to like sort of a bit of a semantic of how to secure the border, right? Some believe it's going a little bit tougher, you know, limiting a little bit of asylum. Some of them believe we're creating a better infrastructure. So we're investing in the right places within, the, across the border. It is, it, it doesn't mean investment. You know, we need to be able to invest and address the people who are coming into the border. Yeah. Well, I'm curious too. It feels like this
2: bad, this political battle over immigration kind of like comes in waves. And I feel like we're in one right now. And I'm curious to kind of get the snapshot of like what the flow of immigration is looking like right now. And like, you know, in the media, we're hearing like all about this border crisis. And sometimes it's hard to really like trust whether it's dramatized through the media and for like political reasons or like, what is the current status and the reality of like what it, what it is like to come here as an immigrant and like what it looks like at our border right now.
3: Sure. Yes. You know, the, the, the cycle of migration has always ebbed and flow. The difference is that now there is one party who is putting a spotlight under it. And so it, 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 you feel like there is this crisis when really it is the same cycle that we've been seeing with more people coming from different parts of the country. Uh, I mean, sorry, different parts of the of, of of the Latin American region. So you have people who are coming from Venezuela, who are coming from other parts of Central America uh, that we hadn't seen before. It's because their governments are so unstable. You know, Venezuela, there is a dictator in place right now, and so that so we have a bigger flow of Venezuelans. And you're seeing actually Chinese, and um, I mean, taking that journey, you know. So there is a, a lot of different migrants from different places that we hadn't seen before. And that is part of just the, the cycle of global migration. When there are problems in other, in certain countries, that you will see an increase in migration. So what does it look like down there? Yes, there's many folks, but we also now have to deal with uh Texas government and other um, Republican governors who are want to make a political point. So mm-hmm. so instead of you know working with the government to see how and other NGOs and investing in and in welcoming communities um, and getting creative because we have governors like the governor from Utah and mayors in Pennsylvania who are like, come to my town. We need workers. Come to my state. We need to revitalize our economy and we have shortages to federal. Instead of working in, in those smart ways, right. they're sending migrants to democratic cities. Really tricking them, which is horrible. You know, so you have these poor migrants who don't have some of them don't have family here because again. These are new migrants. These are new from their countries that, you know, where they haven't been here for a long time. So there's not a lot of immigrants with land roots, right? Most of the time, some of these migrants who come from, for instance, El Salvador, there's huge populations of Salvadorians in Maryland, New Jersey, California. So they have family. So they can go to family. Some of these migrants don't have those families. The Venezuelans are new types of uh, immigrants. So, which is history, right? When you had the mm-hmm. Irish, Italian come, they all sort of had to figure it out. Yeah. But anyway, I, I digressed. I went into one of those tangents. But <laughs> um, but the point is that they're being they're being used as political pawns and sent to Chicago, New York, and something to create chaos. And and meanwhile, there's many of these many of the comi- uh, the cities and and NGOs there and, and non profit who work into sort of find and help them resettle and help them connect with families that they might have. And it is an operation that needs to be invested rather than rather politicized than the way it has. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which just seems to be like
0: the constant vibe and MO. And what I think keeps like being the missing piece is the humanity of it all. Like these governors are literally playing <laughs> God with people's lives, which is really scary and just again it's inhumane it's just not not you know not the thing to do you'd think it's common sense but apparently not so I'm curious what some of those solutions could be to counter those governors like is there anything that could also counter specifically like what they're doing besides some federal legislation like what is what is something that maybe like another state or another city could do to
3: help counter that behavior yes well you have for instance, there's- Two mayors from Pennsylvania recently came out, you know, talking to the press. One is from Erie, PA, and another one is from Pittsburgh, and, and actually there's a few more as well, who said, you know, we we're happy to welcome some of these migrants because we need, our, our cities are dwindling, and, you know, we have we want to revitalize our economy, and we want to be able to, you know, give them homes here. We have food. And so th- that's the kind of things that local governments can do: be able to see that and be able to reach out to these cities and welcome some uh, many of these uh, migrants who are looking for job opportunity or basically just safety and a place to sort of rebuild their lives again. So I think that's one of, one of the things that local governments can do, and I think they are doing. You know, government, like I mentioned, the Utah governor. Governor Cox, who is a Republican, is look is trying to work with other governors to see what can we do to help do what gov- Congress will do, which is deliver a solution that helps all of us.
2: Yeah. So Republicans have been this huge roadblock. Obviously, I'm also curious what you think about, just like Democrats. I guess just more more urgency around the issue. I know we've talked about Democrats having kind of like the right solutions and the right like their head in the right place in terms of like what needs to be done. But do you think that there is the urgency or the, I don't know, like initiative from the Democrat side to kind of like also push these solutions through or is it just like Republicans' roadblocks are too much?
3: Well, currently right now, they are trying to push a solution, which is the, the Biden administration working with Senator Murphy from Connecticut and Senator Sinema and a few other Republicans who are trying to work out a deal uh, that can show, demonstrate that they're serious about the border. And so they're trying to work out a compromise. And the proposals that they're are trying to push, I don't necessarily agree with them, but I can see how they're trying to demonstrate good faith and trying to reach a compromise, a solution to mitigate the flow of migration at the border or to address what's happening right now. Um, so I think there's always Democrats, and there's a lot of willingness to negotiate, a lot of willingness to come to a compromise, a lot of willingness to concede things that normally Democrats do not want to concede, right. but still have this Republican Party who is very much extreme. And one full call from a certain candidate can blow up that whole negotiation
0: Which is wild on so many levels. I don't even know where to start. But speaking of wild, you know, the Republicans are also trying to impeach, you know, the Secretary of Homeland Security. Because like, instead of, of course, like creating actual solutions, let's just get rid of the people that could implement them. Naturally. Logic. So I'm curious what your perspective is on this. And also, like, how did we get here? Like, how did we get to a point where the GOP is thinking like, this is the
3: move? Uh, again, it's all about politics. They yeah. are, they will, they are their top three issues. In a in in a, an election cycle, has almost always been the economy, immigration, and crime. And that's what they use to weaponize against their opponents. And immigration, sadly, is always used in, in a very horrible way. As is crime and the way they portray, you know who are the criminals and, you know, and Democrats are all about defunding blah, 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 You know, on immigration, they, all, they use whatever they can, both in Congress and through the many ways that they reach their voters to weaponize this issue. And so they see impeaching uh, Secretary Mayorkas as a way of demonstrating that they are serious about immigration and that this is a way to also scapegoat yeah. what's happening who, who who's at fault for creating this crisis and Republicans being the ones to solve it and so that is their their way this is you know the, the impeachment is symbolic it's a pol- it's a political game it's a political it's throwing red meat to their rabbit base on on this issue um, and so sadly they're just wasting you know taxpayers money on a an impeachment that's not going to go anywhere, uh, and 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 if we look at sort of just holistically the whole big picture on immigration, how they weaponized it, and it is just one one tactic of many. In twenty in the twenty twenty two cycle, during that election cycle, they spent over one hundred and seventy one million dollars on anti immigrant ads. They are very disciplined. They will use this issue and use it and use it against Democrats and paint a horrible picture that sadly really starts exacerbating, you know, voters', voters view of what immigration means to them. You know, yeah. And so that's what we'll show the VAT right now. They they just know how to politicize this issue really well and weaponize it to the point that I mean, many Americans start wondering there is a problem. Uh, there's a real serious problem about immigration, and it's coming to my neighborhood. If you looked at New Hampshire and their polling uh, for Republicans, their their top issue was immigration. New Hampshire, New Hampshire. there's no border. Yeah. New there's no southern border in New Hampshire. The issue hasn't even come close to their state. Yeah. So- that's the power of the republican machine right Uh, well looking at this election here
2: and looking at the politics and the messaging and the voters like what in 2024 are you guys finding with voters in terms of like what people what is resonating with people at least maybe on like the opposite side of combating some of this like fear-mongering coming from the right what does work to kind of like flip the narrative
3: no, well, you know what people here's the thing. The, the issue isn't that, as I always like to say, people are not anti immigrant They're anti-chaos. And so there's a responsibility of the Democratic Party and candidates and operatives who work in this to talk about the solutions, to talk about the shared values. What we have right now is a Democratic Party has ceded the issue to the Republicans. So they're talking really loud up here. You know, deploying ads after ads, being very disciplined when they come on air, right-wing media is helping amplify this. Online misinformation is also being leveraged. So you have, they're creating, they're dominating the conversation on immigration. And so what that happens is that Democrats, you know, feel like they can't talk about it. There is no solution to sort of countering this. So they rather pivot away from it or just kind of go try to out Republican the Republican on the issue. That doesn't win because when we look at the numbers, you know, the majority of the American public, the voters in particular, in battleground states support a path to citizenship, support investing in our in our border security, support, you know, doing something that will save dreamers from being deported. They're against family separation. They're against building the border wall. You know, a lot of the solutions that Democrats believe in are supported by the American public, but they have to talk about it. They have to communicate on it. They yeah. have to do some ads. I often get the question, "Well, how many ads do Democrats do on immigration?" It can literally count, like, in the twenty twenty two cycle, how many Democrats actually get ads on immigration? Five. You know, first, there's so many more candidates on the Republican side who did immigration. So there's a real, it's a real problem of communication.
0: Right. Totally. That's something we talk about all the time. It's like the messaging is so key and also understanding like how to communicate facts and what's going on and what that actually looks like. And especially with immigration, I think, you know, you're so right. Like, I don't think I've ever seen a Democrat put out an immigration-related ad, like, the more I think about it, I'm like, hmm. couldn't, couldn't have crossed my desk. You know what I mean? And so I'm curious, though, for, like, a dem that says, you know what? Good idea, guys. Like, let me put an ad out there. Let me, like, work my magic. Like, what do you think, like, that type of messaging should look like? Like, what are those points that, like, they should be hammering home?
3: I think it's really important for a Democrat to say that they are, they believe in border security. And they also believe in our promise to dreamers and undocumented immigrants who have been here a part of our are part of our culture, our communities, to build a path to citizenship for them. In. It is a balanced approach that they have to talk about, it's not one or the other, but it's both. I think one of the best messengers of that of that of that formula we talk about what we stand for, tap into the shared values. And contrast yourself against Republicans. That form is what works. And I think one of the candidates who is now a senator who did it in the best was Senator Fetterman in Pennsylvania. He had one of the best ads on immigration, where he kind of thought, he ended it with saying, "Immigration makes America America." You know, it captures really the sentiment of what we know as immigration in our country. But he also talks in that ad about how much it's helped Pennsylvania, you know, from early on to what it is today. And I think that's you're able to tap into those, into that, into those values with Americans. There's there's a good response. There's a good there's a good support. Um the other person who did it well was uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona, who you know used who talked about what it means to to enforce the law at the border, but also to support dreamers who are here in the country. He was able to send sort tactical of tackle both. And that shows that what it does, what that sends to the voter says, I hear you, I know you might be nervous about the border. I support solutions that work, address that. And I hear you also to our progressive base and, and everybody who, who supports good immigration reform that includes a path to citizenship, I hear you too. So it's sending a message to all types of voters and soothing whatever stress or anxiety they might have about the issue while also delivering something on solutions. That works with the American people. We need more of that. And if they did that, I'm pretty sure, you know, Republicans would be in trouble. And if we look back at those two candidates, they won. They won. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Well,
2: there are solutions in the works right now. Like we talked about, people are negotiating on this issue. Can you kind of run down what the latest is and how people can kind of pay attention and keep track of of this piece of
3: legislation that's moving? Sure. So currently, there is a bipartisan group of senators who are negotiating a deal um, that strictly addresses the border and asylum. Mostly asylum law. There's some dangerous components to it. If it comes out of that deal, which should come out this week, there's going to be debate. The devil's in the details. We'll see what, what the text says and go from there. But it's important for people to pay attention to those details because there are proposals within there that would completely ban people from seeking asylum. And that gave authority to the administration to be able to deport families who are down at the border um, who might not meet this credible fear standard that they have, which they are increasing. And they will easily deport these families back to the countries that they fled some. That is not done. That undermines international law. Uh, you know our our commitment to people seeing persecution of seven. But on top of that, if this goes through with those dangerous proposals and we are under a Trump administration, hopefully that is not the case. They will exacerbate those powers, ramp them up, and really use it in a way that could separate many families again and jeopardize and create more chaos down at the border and to my other families and other families who are seeking safety. So this is, we would be sending dangerous presidents. So it's really important that people pay attention to those details. From the Senate, vote and for and then go to the House. Well, we don't know what will happen because yeah. there's a lot of hard right folks. So we'll take it from there. But... Just just be aware of that. And it's important to call your members of Congress and these details come on and you see how dangerous they are. You know, call your members of Congress, have conversations with folks that who are politically involved and who can make also those phone calls. Uh, because we don't want to send dangerous president. We don't want to send something that just creates chaos at the border and does nothing for the people who have been here for a long time as well. Uh so it's, it's so, you know, I'll leave you with that, but that's going to, it's sort of a big deal right now, these yeah. negotiations.
0: Totally. Lots to keep an eye on for sure. Well, as we sort of come to a wrap, how can people keep an eye on the work that you guys are doing and get involved with anything, you know, on the Immigration Hub radar?
3: Sure, yes. You know, follow us on Twitter. We are on Twitter and Threads for the latest updates. But also, as this 2024 campaign pushes forward, you know, we're going to put out a lot lot of our research out there from tracking all the bad ads from Republicans on immigration to tracking hopefully some good Democratic ads on immigration. uh, But we'll also provide some other misinformation tracking that you should be aware of. You know, one of the findings that we had in our last report out from 2022 on tracking misinformation online is that oftentimes, the average Twitter user, or the average online user, uh, doesn't know how to counter the other side on immigration. Well, we'll we'll be able to put out, we'll be putting out some talking points and some facts out there to add to your, to to be able to add to your sort of tools to counter all the bad stuff. Because we need people to talk back, and we need people to sort of respond to all the negative misinformation on immigration, and we don't want. What we saw in that report, we want the left or folks who are like-minded to feel demoralized by the other side. And so when you're demoralized, you don't speak on the issue and you kind of avoid it. We don't want that. We want an activated base who can talk good things about immigration. If you if you're as like-minded as you if you feel the way I feel about immigration, which is it's good for the country, it's good to have to to invigorate our culture. If we want to see good solutions come out, to have some good immigration reform someday, then I hope you can join, be part of that conversation and sort of elevate those values and elevate what you know in your gut is good about immigration. Yes, thank you.
2: And thank you for coming on and running through all of this with us. This was great. And
3: yeah, we just really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for being all that you're doing. Your voices matter in this. So thank you.
0: Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.